tell me a story. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. You know how sometimes things line up? I haven't seen you before, have I? Took me 20 years to find you. It is simply extraordinary. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. On this episode, we will be discussing our favorites and disappointments of 2019. You have something very rare. Beyond anything anyone has ever felt before. I came looking for answers. I don't have the answers. But I know we end up where we're meant to be. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they make us who we are. Do you consider yourself a hero? Put some clothes on. Let's go for a ride. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcasts, go to lcamoviereviews.com. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. The universe has a way of leading you to where you're supposed to be at the moment you're supposed to be there. I'm scared. It's all right. You're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. You're made of everything you do. Ready? Sure. This episode will contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. There's magic that brought us together. And that magic is called hope. There is only one way this ends. Lost man standing. So it begins. Thank you for this journey, no matter how it ends. We hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy during this coronavirus pandemic. And now, here are your hosts for this episode, Mike Winkler and Alistair Engelhart. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews uh, podcast. Mike Winkler here, along with Alistair Engelhart again. Glad to have you back, Alistair. Yep, thanks for having me, Mike. Um, uh, I want to have a shout-out to everybody, hoping they're staying safe and healthy with the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, I know this hasn't been easy at anybody with what's going on right now, and uh, Alistair and I are doing this over Skype to give you some entertainment, you know, from what we can mm-hmm. from home. And I hope everybody's staying safe and shout out to all the uh, the nurses and the military and everybody else helping everybody out. We really greatly appreciate it. We hope to get back to real uh, reality soon. Mm-hmm. All right. So Alistair and I decided today what we're going to do is we're going to go over a um, kind of a worst and favorites of, of 2019 and what we're looking forward to kind of in 2020. But Alistair, explain to the audience what your idea is and how we're going to do this uh, structure tonight. 
Sure. Yeah, Mike. Um, so given the fact that the the vast majority of my exposure to movies over the past year have been um, related to Chuckington, Thomas the Tank Engine, with having two young ones, <laughs> I figured that the the best help I could be would be kind of providing recaps of um, some of the the critics' reviews, um, so more of a voice of the people um, for each of these movies, and giving um, some snippets from a couple reviews from each movie, and then uh, allowing um, Mike the opportunity to kind of contribute from his expert perspective, um, given his background in film, um, in responding to those um, those snippets, and then supplementing it with some thoughts of his own. Excellent, excellent. Sounds yeah. like a great plan. It sounds like it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll start with one of my uh, one of my favorites from January of 2019, and that was uh, Escape Room. Yeah. So Escape Room actually fell right in the middle um, for a lot of people. So IMDb had it rated at a 6.3, uh, Rotten Tomatoes at a 51 percent, and then the Metacritic 48 percent. And even these two reviews that I found were a little bit um, spread out in terms of how they responded. So the first one that I found is from uh, the website Plugged In. Mm -hmm. um, and they mentioned that, that some film critics have referenced uh, survival horror picks like Saw and the Final Destination series when talking right. about Escape Room. And with, without a doubt, viewers would, would sense the cinematic zeitgeist of both of those <laughs> film franchises in, in this movie's mix. Um, but the differences with, with Escape Room that they mentioned is that the, the grisly horror um, aspects of those other franchises have been mostly, uh, from their perspective, snipped out of uh, this PG-13 pick. Uh, we don't just sit there wincingly fearful of how the next victim will be butchered or pureed as much as we wonder what clue uh, might be right in front of the, the characters. The situations crumble and the clock kicks down. Uh, and in fact, by, by cutting back on the blood and by, by leaving the truly nasty bits out altogether, um, Adam Ro Robital, uh, is that, am I pronouncing his last name? Correctly, think so, director. director. Yeah. Yeah. Adam Robidoux, uh, he's, he's created more of an, an adrenalized thriller uh, than a pure horror flick. And the film spot is, is uh, equally driven by these likable characters uh, who are paired with some dominating quote unquote characters of another sort that the uh, puzzle filled escape room sets themselves. Um, and those rooms really want to all keep the action flowing and the, and the tension of the film palpable. Um, all of that said, um, however, and again, this is um, plugged in's perspective. Um, they didn't think that Escape Room uh, deserved a hearty thumbs up, um, but there are some positives in the form of brave uh, personal sacrifices and um, the puzzle solving. But but audiences um, they, they they thought had plenty of negatives to navigate too. That the film's um, obscenity laden dialogue isn't something you definitely uh, something you definitely can't puzzle your way out of. It, it felt a little bit. Um, too much at points, not necessarily tastefully inserted. Um, the, the, the foul um, death-dealing evil behind everything that happens there has, it doesn't really have any thought-provoking lessons to teach. They thought no no real morality tale takeaway. It's simply evil for the gleeful sake of being evil. Um, so I think they were looking for some, something, that, um, a plot line that was a bit more substantial um, mm -hmm. and that it felt a bit surface level at points. Um, so they, they felt like just a, a bit more a bit more focus on on the virtue of the characters uh, against mm -hmm. this this evil around them might have been uh, a neat highlight um, by the time the the final clues were gathered and the last lock was sprung. Um, but so yes yeah, so yeah so that was um, plugged in's perspective. 
Um, we also had had a perspective from the Hollywood Reporter. Um, so they said that entertainment fads don't tend to inspire the, the best movies. And so we, we've all kind of seen um, these escape rooms popping up uh, around us. I, I noticed a couple even here in Cleveland that since coming back were new to me that weren't here um, when I first lived in the area uh, several years ago. Um, but, but they said those who've jumped on the escape room trend have really lucked out with uh, Robidoll's escape room. Uh, this little thriller um, was was surely more fun than most of the riddle solving lock-ins currently springing up around the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. They they thought it was conspicuously short on gore. It's it's geared towards those who yeah, prefer cool. the thrill thrill of impending death to seeing the actual event, which is a bit more what we see in Saw um, and Final Destination. Though uh, even though it's you know its final beats have a bit more of a familiar flavor in that regard with the uh, the, the the oven um, turning oh, on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so this this is one time a, a fright flicks inevitable promise um, to return doesn't really inspire groans, you know. Like it, it doesn't kind of um, right. necessarily um, flow the the way we might expect it to with a bit more of a um, of a, a drawn out story in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they're they're kind of uh, their closing thoughts on it were despite the early th- early threat of being similar to Saw, Escape Room is is less sadistic um, than it is relentless. In their words, uh, they said it was pausing only really once to catch its breath and to let, let the heroes um, start to share some of their secrets to make sense of things and um, their backgrounds. And um, while its scares aren't as as clever as say the best moments in the Final Destination series, Robotal um, definitely brings some visual wit. Um, to the most memorable, memorable sequence, which they felt was the, a to- the topsy-turvy challenge where the camera plays with their, their disorientation, um, yes. even as the actors were finding their footing. Um, and that centerpiece also, uh, they felt, offered more persuasive heroism. heroism it, it kind of in contrast to Plugged In's um, perspective, they felt like there was some more persuasive moments in terms of the heroism of the um, characters than is usually found in flicks like this. Um, so they're, they're hoping for a sequel um, that the the box office receipts would justify. One is um, Yeah, right. Um, and more thrills like it. So, yeah. So some mixed thoughts there. What, what are yours, Mike? Well, when I saw the movie, um, you know, I remember seeing the trailers and they kind of they kind of surprised me uh, because it looked interesting. But there were similarities to Saw in other movies, and I thought, mm, is it traveling into the same territory of things we've already seen before? And uh, but, I, but I thought, you know what, let me give this movie a shot. Some parts of it look interesting. The movie looks shot very well. Uh, we'll see what the story is. So I went and saw it one, uh, one night, and uh, I was genuinely surprised how much I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, how innovative the set design was for, for the escape rooms and how cool, mm-hmm. like, for instance, like the oven you were talking about. Um, they're, like, in this room where... Uh, it looks like a waiting room. They think they're going into a normal escape room like we experience here. And the room starts to heat up. They start seeing things around the room that, that are, are weird and out of place. And they have to get out of this room in a vent before the room explodes into like this big type of oven kind of thing. Jeez. And uh, that leads to one room after the other. There's a room where they're outside of a cabin in the winter and they're about to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one where they're in that topsy-turvy room, which is really cool design with a pool table that's upside down. And they have to navigate the room before the room falls apart below them into this long elevator shaft they can fall into. Huh. So it's really cool. There's things like that. And uh, I thought the character development was pretty good, especially mm-hmm. the lead character of Zoe. 
Um, you can tell she's kind of shy and whatnot in the beginning. And you start learning why, especially when you start seeing all the backgrounds. Uh, there's a stock boy named Ben. There's a truck driver. There's an Iraq war veteran and an escape room enthusiast. And they all have backgrounds wow. that somehow intersect with each other and make sense why they were all picked out specifically for this room. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. So, so I thought the writing was pretty good. Uh, the ending of the movie does leave you with a cliffhanger. And at the time, I was like, is the movie ending this way because it's your typical horror ending or because they're wanting to continue this as a franchise? Well, come sure. to find out a day or two later after I saw the movie, an article came out saying they want to make a sequel if the movie was successful. Huh. Well, it was actually successful, and now a sequel is coming out the, uh, December 30th of, um, of uh, this oh, year. Oh, wow. That early. Jeez. Have they uh, announced the title? Uh, as of right now, it's just known as Escape Room 2. Okay. Um, there's there's mostly a new cast intact, but from what I understand, uh, a few of the surviving members of the first film will still be in it to a degree. I'm hoping oh, really? the film, but I don't know to the extent yet. So that'll be kinda interesting. Like, kind of like the implication being that they that at the very end there that they did make it, or at least part of their group made it out. Right. Huh. Cool. Yeah. So overall, yes, I, I agree with some of the reviews on how they describe some things, but the movie kind of was, it was fun. It wasn't gory. It didn't feel the need mm. to be like Saw and have blood and guts flying everywhere all the time. It mm. relied itself on the the creativity and the design of the set pieces and making the tense and thrills around what was going to happen in the room. Yeah, and a couple of the other reviews that I had noticed it definitely um, had pointed out that you really, you really when you go to movies like these, you have to you have to realize the context of what you're what you're going to that if you're if you're going to something that where you're expecting this in-depth plot that you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment the 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 entertainment value of these types of films is um is a bit other other than that you know in right. things like you mentioned like getting to see neat cinematography um and to to just get excited generally and to be experiencing that that thrill mm-hmm. so yeah well i'm glad you liked it mike that's cool yeah very, very much so. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, one of my, uh, one of the, the second movie that I really enjoyed from this year was, um, was actually, uh, did you hear the movie The Upside with, uh, with Kevin Hart? Uh, I didn't. Uh, let me bring it up though. Sure. Um, okay. The Upside. This was, um, yeah, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin Hart and uh, Brian Cranston and Nicole Kidman star in this movie. It's actually based on a uh, on a true story. Okay, yeah, Mike. Yeah, hopefully, you can snip this this uh, audio out. But the, the <laughs> Google saying it's a 2017 film. Is it? Uh, am I looking at the right one? Um, yes. the The movie actually um, was filmed and actually was released at the Toronto Film Festival in 2017, but was not released in theaters till January 11th of 2019. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a neat, neat bit of history. Yeah, it looks like um, IMDb definitely rated this one a little bit higher than our last film at, at almost a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, with again, kind of some some diversity in the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes Metacritic, with Rotten Tomatoes being a 41 percent. And Metacritic at a 46, but again, right below that, it says 90% like this movie. You know, it's so hard to interpret sometimes the uh, the various reviews to kind of know what to expect. But right, um, you know, what what's a, a general synopsis of this film, Mike? Um, so basically, uh, the film follows a paralyzed billionaire, mm-hmm. and um, he was uh, he got this disease that required him, or he was paralyzed from the waist down. All he could do is move his head. So um, Kevin Hart is a recently paroled convict, and uh, he's looking for a job. And in order to um, 
Uh, he has a son and an ex-wife, and he has to get a job in order to continue to get different things. So mm. he goes to this place, and uh, Brian Cranston's character ends up hiring him because he wants to take a chance on him because he realizes he's somebody that probably wouldn't be right for the job, but he seems like he's right for the job in the sense of who he is, and he needs a second chance. Mm. So the movie basically shows their unlikely friendship and uh, how he learns to take care of him and how they really become really great friends. Sounds like a really inspirational film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at um, some of the, the thoughts, particularly on, on IMDb, where it got some pretty good reviews. Um, so the people saying, um, it, so this was actually a remake, it looks like? Is that is that uh, true, Mike? Remake of. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. it is the third. It is a third remake of a movie that was made. Um, there was a uh, another film that was a more of an Asian flick, I believe, and then it was remade again in 2016. It was an Argentinian film, and then the U.S. made it in 2017 for 2019. Okay, cool. Yes, this person. Um, uh, one of the reviews that I'm reading right now on IMDb that they point out that it's a remake. You know, face it, remakes get done. And they'll continue to get done. Um, so if, if you go into this one with an open mind, just willing to have some fun and enjoy a good story, you, you'd end up saying the the same. So ignore, they really encourage people to ignore the negative reviews, um, which there there seem to be um, some of those posted on on um, some other sites. of like Robert Roger E. Uh, I'm sorry, Roger. Uh, forgive me, Mike. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. That's um, that, that's that's plenty okay. Um, Roger, what is this site called, Mike? Roger Ebert. Ebert. Yeah. So, so Roger Ebert, Ebert, um, you know, is, is an example of one that had some negative things to say. But they said ignore the negative views, purposely trying to bash the film, and go see it for yourself. Uh, it's it's not the they said it's not the best movie in the world, but it's definitely a movie that would leave you smiling in the end. Again, kind of that that inspirational feeling. Um, and they felt Kevin Hart really held his own in the movie to the point where they're hoping he'll consider doing more movies like this in the future uh, since he showed such a good range um, for being a comedian. Um, yeah, it was surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen his comedy, but um, yeah, they definitely um, felt like he did a good job. The, the matchup with Brian Cranston and Nicole Kidman also seemed to have been a, a highlight. So they thought that was a pretty brilliant matching. Um, and it, it definitely made a, a good family film. Um in a way, so that, yeah, was, that was yeah. Um, so another person that actually gave a ten out of ten stars um, was uh, actually themselves a, a quadriplegic and resonated uh, with with the film in, in that way. They said they're they're really thankful for for Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston, um, the whole crew, and the rest of those involved in the remake. That movies entertain us, but they're even better when they can educate, entertain, and make us laugh at the same time. Um, <laughs> and they, they, they point out there haven't really been any movies with big celebrity actors showing that um, a quadriplegic can actually live a regular life and have happiness. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that they felt like this this movie um, came out and that the... Um, uh, they, they mentioned a couple of movies um, that had come out recently, one of which um, I, I actually saw with my wife, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it had the, the actress who played in Game of Thrones, the queen. Um, um, oh, we're talking about Amelia Clark. Oh, that's uh, Last Christmas. 
Okay, last question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they mentioned that, that a couple other big movies came out recently that, that the quadriplegic chose suicide at the end. And instead of being uh, looked at like a regular person, they were looked at with pity. pity. Um, so they, they really appreciated the perspective that this movie had. It's uh, it's not easy being completely dependent on others for everything. Um, but that um, this movie really portrayed that, that life can still be very happy and uh, yeah. satisfying. Um which, uh, yeah, again, resonated with them specifically, and I'm sure resonated with a lot of other people, too. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being a pretty heartfelt movie. I know, um, I-, I remember seeing the trailer for this quite a bit in the theater with other movies, and it really garnered my interest right away, because uh, I kind of like these inspirational films, because they always leave you somewhat coming out of a theater happy. And and mm. sometimes we need that, because we live we live in a society today where, you know, a lot of things, you know... Don't make people happy. Look at what's going on right now. I mean, sure. this is the kind of movie right now where we, we need something like this. What's what's going on right now? And uh, but um, I I thought the movie was was really great. This actually is really one of my favorites of, of last year. Um, I find myself watching it every now and then um, on video, and uh, the performances are excellent. The movie's humorous. It's 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 kind of touching in a way. And the movie really has an ending that's really hopeful, and it's not a depressing ending. It's really hopeful, and that that thing's part of the reason why I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So, so Mike, just to recap, because you'd said it earlier um, when we were talking, uh, when when I first found the film, it was mentioned that it was a 2017 movie. You said it was part of a festival in 2017, and then it was released in the the U.S. in 2019. Oh yeah, 20, 2017. You said yeah, it was uh, it was 2017 because of um, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2017. I'm not really necessarily sure why it was held up for release for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was having a hard time finding a distributor or, or whatnot, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, quite, quite a bit of time between the time it premiered there and when it premiered in theaters. Yeah. I'm glad it came to us eventually. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that, is that a common trajectory for films where they'll start at festivals first? Um, some do, uh, there is a good amount that do, and they do take a while to get released, uh, in, in theaters to the general public. But, um, for like a lot of the big budget movies, uh, not so much, uh, sometimes they'll premiere it like, um. Sundance or, or the Cannes Film Festival, but usually it just depends on the on the kind of movie it is. Mm, sure, neat. <laughs> so, so. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this because I already did a podcast with uh, with with Jason Kabasik on the Avengers on Endgame, and of course that's yeah. definitely at the top of last year's list. So, uh, what were your thoughts on Endgame as a whole? On Endgame, oh gosh, I mean I, I definitely loved it. I, I saw it a, a couple times. Um, Actually, so once in theater, and then as soon as it came out in film, I, I watched it again just to try to catch what I missed. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think back to my impressions when I first watched it. Um, I thought the the acting was fantastic. Um, I loved actually the, the the most touching scene for me in the film was actually that last scene with Captain America um, when he when he yeah. passed on um, his shield and passed the mantle. Um, I thought that was that was really neat, and uh, his character, I think, all throughout um, phase phase three of um, the Marvel movies was has just been a a really inspiring leader, and remains, um, I think, my my favorite hero um, in the entire franchise. Um, yeah, so I I you know I really enjoyed the battle. Um, that they had with um, with Thanos at the end. I thought that there was a lot of really neat action there, and and I was I was thankful that um, it wasn't quite as as simple as um, you know some uber hero like Captain Marvel coming through and and just 
punching everyone out and it was over. Um, they oh, really yeah. drew, drew it out nicely. And, um, and, uh, I, I was, I remember the first time I saw it, uh, I'd purposely tried to avoid all of the, um, all of the, uh, rumors out there, uh, on social media and, and, and confirmations from folks that had already seen the movie about what happened with, uh, with Tony and, uh, right. and with, with the, the final moments, and was very surprised by um, how the one path of the million that Doctor Strange had mentioned, um, one future where it, it all was successful, how how it really ended mm-hmm. up. But I was really thankful. I, I, I know we talked about this in our last um, podcast with the, the, the theme of sacrifice being really a touching one. But I find that my um, my my own emotions and, and heartstrings are tugged best. Um, by moments like that where um, heroes that we've come to really know and love well um, are um, are sacrificed. It's not just a secondary, secondary character that we'll forget about quickly. Uh, right. It's someone that we, we know very well and, and in, in some sense of the word we'll, we'll miss moving forward as the, um, you know, as the franchise moves on. Even dis- despite the rumors that perhaps there's a way for Tony to transfer his consciousness through AI. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of discussion and talk about um, that, especially with uh, you heard about too with with Black Widow. They're saying how she. Uh, there was a rumor that I heard that came out uh, a couple days ago with an article saying with the Black Widow movie coming out and she has her sister, mm-hmm. and they were trying to say that somehow her sister somehow changed her face and actually the version of Black Widow that we saw in Avengers Endgame was actually her sister. So actually Natasha's actually still alive. It's it's a heck of a theory, but. I don't know if I'm buying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wonder. I, it'd be hard to go back to that whole dynamic between her and, and Hawkeye, um, yeah. where she was so passionate about preventing him from sacrificing himself. If it was a character with which he hadn't really developed that friendship, mm-hmm. um, I, I felt like we we saw the the depth of friendship in their whole. Um, their whole tussle, you know, kind of the going back and forth about who was going to sacrifice themselves and who wasn't. Um, so that's interesting though. I mean, we, there was kind of a similar, um, interaction actually at the end of, um, X-Men three with, uh, um, professor X having a, a sibling that he oh, was yeah. able to transfer his, uh, his consciousness in right before mm-hmm. he got obliterated. So there's, there's a, yeah, I, I could see that happening. There's been some other moments similar to that in, in Marvel history. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I I felt like that was great. You know, I I'm trying to think. Um, I I wasn't bothered like some by the the whole um, time travel uh, inconsistencies. Every every, every um, jump that they made and interactions they had with other characters in the past, I I, I really enjoyed. I particularly enjoyed the interaction between Tony and his father, um, Howard. Very much so yeah, yeah was that stuff. was that was probably the um, the second most. Um, touching moment in the film for me was was that was that scene. Um, just getting um, for Tony to have that that opportunity, um, ultimately before he died, um, to really have some of the um, challenges that he had experienced in his relationship with his father really um, addressed and and um, some some reconciliation of a sort found there. Um, Very much so. I, I I agree because you know it was one of those things too where. Um, with the things with his father at the end, it really made it really made his storyline come full circle. That time he he had died at the end, and uh, yeah, it was it was really really touching, especially since you know from the time Iron Man one came out to the end of this. I mean, his relationship with his father was always 
kind of a building point for his character and for, for, it, for it to kind of come full circle was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think the, o- the only thing that was a little bit um, weird about the film for me was, was just everything with Thor. <laughs> fat, fat Thor. Oh, was, fat um, Thor. Also hilarious. He, it was it was de- definitely the entertainment value was there it was it was humorous, um, but it was just such a far fall for Thor. Um, I mean, I, I rewatched um, uh, the, the first movie of his after I watched Endgame, um, and uh, you know certainly he had some pride issues, and um, but the Thor at the end of the first movie was had just. Um, in almost an unrealistic under unrealistically short period of time really come to fruition character wise. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it just, uh, it, it's, it almost seemed a bit unrealistic, um, for him. I, I, I recognize that he went through some really challenging things. I mean, he made a huge mistake and, um, by seeking revenge instead of, um, you know, some, something much more self-centered than really putting an end to Thanos for the sake of everybody else's lives. Um, right. and I'm sure that would have been, you know, challenging for anyone to deal with and definitely uh, formative character wise in a negative way. Um, with the, with the guilt that he was probably feeling about it, but it just seemed like it was almost, um, rather than for the sake of character development, it almost seemed like it was partially for the, the entertainment value, kind of the humor piece yeah, and yeah, having, like, having someone to kind of play that role. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, there, there was a, a part of me that was, um, saddened that Thor became that, that, uh, that particular role for, for the viewers. I, I think that maybe they could have used, um, um, you know, the folks from Guardian the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy or... Right, um, more towards the bunch. Yeah, yeah, or you relied on some folks that have been a bit more historically the, 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 the comedic relief yeah. <laughs> to provide that element. But what, what do you think about Fat Thor? Um, you know, to me, I mean, the only reason why, in a way, like, I agree with you fully that the way the way Thor, Fat Thor is interpreted, how much he lost, it seemed like a little bit too far of a fall for him, considering how serious his character was, especially, like, in the first two Thors. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know we know Ragnarok, the third Thor film. It was more humorous than the first two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really lightened things up, and I, I guess it fit within the tone of Thor sure. three. But um, I mean, for for as humorous as Thor Ragnarok was, the ending actually is pretty morbid. It really sure. is because you know he loses his home world. Uh, there's not much of the you know uh, of his people left, and then and then in uh, beginning of Infinity War. You know, he loses another half of his people because Thanos mm-hmm. knocks out half of them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, it was a pretty far fall for him. I mean, I thought it was funny, but I mean, I always thought that in Endgame, that was the one piece that I thought was maybe a little too humorous for the kind of movie that it was supposed to be. Sure. Yeah. I think wow. the, the, other, the, the other thing that had me thinking uh, more and more of the mystery of it was I, I'm very curious to see what happens with Loki and uh, him having recovered uh, that, that briefcase, you know, or, oh, or the, Tesseract and disappearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, wow, that changes everything. <laughs> it does. I know the upcoming, uh, Disney plus series, Loki is really going to go into him and stuff like that. So I'll be curious to see if somehow he gets his way back into mm-hmm. our current timeline, or is he just going to stay in the alternate timeline? That'll be, that'll be interesting to see how they're going to pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where do you feel like, um, how do you feel like they can really continue the momentum? that Endgame had with uh, the Marvel movies. You know, I think there's a lot of folks that are curious to see um, how you maintain the the level of interest that Endgame 
uh, Infinity War garnered from Marvel oh, fans. I mean, they did, they did well with Spider-Man. Um, from what I can yeah. tell, Spider-Man did very well. Um, but it's it's a, it's it's one thing to kind of you know continue to invest um, that much into one film after uh, you know a climax, but but to continue keeping the entire series at that level, you know, could be could be tough. Yeah, uh, you know, Spider-Man was also on my list for this year, too. It's good to mention that. Um, but, yeah, you're right, though, because uh, now that this is over, uh, we look at the future of of the Marvel franchise. And uh, the only big ones we really have left, you know, is, of course, Captain Marvel's now part of it and Black Panther. And we still have Spider-Man. But, yeah, when you look at the whole, you know, Captain America's gone. Iron Man's gone. Uh, we don't know what, where Hulk's going to be. Uh, we know we're getting another Thor movie, which I'm very, very happy about because at yeah. least he's staying around. Um, we have another Guardians. But other than that, we got a lot of different movies like Shang-Chi and the Eternals that we really are not really well-known Marvel comics. And even though Marvel fans will know about these, how is the general public going to perceive them? Are they going to take them as much as we took to Captain America mm. and Iron Man? Or is it going to be falling on deaf ears? We, we don't know yet. I mean, I don't see another Avengers film really coming out for quite a long time huh yeah so I don't, I don't know it's gonna be interesting to see where marvel's gonna do things and it's gonna hold up i think to be honest i think their disney plus is a, a series are gonna be might do better for them because we're getting the mm. wanda vision one and we're getting the loki series and then the uh the series about uh winter soldier and uh and uh bucky now oh, bucky and um the new cap i forget mm. his name sure the new captain america is yeah, hawkeye yeah, I, so, I, not hawkeye but the flying man the, yeah the, the falcon Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see how he plays the role too. I, th I think that was a great, great choice. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. Huh. Um, but yeah, so uh, another another film I want to make mention too of because uh, I, I I think this film really uh, kind of describes what's going on right now uh, is uh, Five Feet Apart. Mm, okay, I'm not familiar. What, what's the? Can you give me a synopsis, Mike? Sure. Well, five feet apart. This this is a movie that really is. Uh, huh. This movie, I think, will genuinely make you cry. I don't usually cry when I watch movies, but uh -huh. this one, this one, I actually did. And well, that's a recommendation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a strong recommendation. I think uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. But um, so basically, it's about these uh about these group of kids that have cystic fibrosis, mm -hmm. and they're all in the hospital. And, uh, of course, the biggest thing is they have to stay six feet apart from each other because uh, it can um, be bad for their immune systems if they interact oh, with other fibrosis people. Huh. And uh, any infection that they get, cross-infection in their system, can kill them. So um, as the movie goes along, uh, two, two, uh, two people meet. Of course, you know, a guy and a girl meet. Uh, they kind of meet by accident. They're both in the hospital. They're both separate from each other, and they kind of collide into each other. Um, and they learn to start hanging out with each other, and uh, they start to fall in love with each other. And as the time goes on, you know, um, things get difficult. I don't want to give away too much of the movie to you because you haven't seen it yet. But uh, it, it, it's really, it really uh, tugs at your heartstrings because you see what these people go through. And, yeah. uh, you know, when, they, when these two fall for each other and they can't be within six feet of each other, uh, it's heartbreaking because, I mean, we're kind of with that right now. What, what the CDC tells us now to stay six feet apart from people outside. Mm. And right now yeah. we're kind of getting a taste of that. And now we're kind of getting a feel of what they feel. And I think watching this film now, you know. Yeah, take on additional air of meaning. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Oh, that sounds like a great film, Mike. Um, 
Yeah, I'm looking at, uh, looks like it was definitely, again, uh, another one that was rated highly on IMDb and, and has some really good things to say, um, actually, on Google reviews. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, here's here's one, actually. Um, oh, cut out the audio. <laughs> <laughs> one second, I'm just trying to find. I, I saw a little snippet of it. Um, Okay. Sorry, Mike. These reviews are no, really okay. short. I'm trying to find one that's a little bit longer. Yeah, I want to watch this. I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, okay. Yeah, definitely. I say definitely get out the uh, get out the tissues because you'll need them. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, um, so this person, uh, here's a review on IMDb um, by someone who actually took quite a bit of time to um, give their own verdict, but they mm-hmm. they kind of gave a, a general summary that the, the, this latest movie fills the formula of sad, uh, drama meeting the romantic teenage plot lines. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the acting is there to bring a fantastic dynamic to latch onto in the form of Cole Sprouse and Har- Har- Harley Lou Richardson. Haley R- um, Lou Richardson. Oh yeah, she's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, they, they said their, their chemistry is amazing, bringing the the two sides of the romantic cone to life in a very sweet charming and uh, surprisingly realistic way um, that five feet apart took took those characters and really did a fantastic job advancing them past the the carbon copy templates that most of these types of, of films do mm-hmm. um, they also thought the supporting cast did a wonderful job of being integrated with the story with their own tales and dynamics meshing well to bring out the the main characters in in some some new ways beyond what they even share with each other mm-hmm. um, and that the movie somehow managed to add on to the simple romantic story by appreciating these other dynamics um, that can be included in, in some romance movies. Um, so th- it sounds like there's a, there's a comedic aspect that they, they felt was simple and classy, um, mm-hmm. fitting very, very well with the tone of the movie without being too forced, uh, which I always appreciate. I, I think that um, when there's serious themes coming through, sometimes uh, overt comedy mm-hmm. can almost detract from that. So I'm glad to hear True. that it was, it was tastefully inserted. Um, Good balance. And they, they, they mentioned that for those that enjoy symbology in the visual arts, um, that the, the rooms and works of, of the proverbial Romeo and Juliet have um, plenty of artistic bite that's impressed to behold. Instigate, uh, one second, I'm going to call that. Um, Um, they, they mentioned that the romance, the romance component itself, that they, they really gave them props for finding a way to bring love and beauty into a realistic way. Uh, that was both poetic and, and really fun to behold. Mm-hmm. Um, they felt like it took the, the, the cheesy factor out of the romance and, and really made it an adventure that that's fun for all of us to go on with them. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like the, the ordeal of the disease really contending with the blossoming love is, is the driving force of the film. Um, and really, 
manage to stay fresh despite how plotted love tales can sometimes be in other films like this. True. Um, and uh, with, with all those components, they, they felt like they worked really, really well. <laughs> so It did, you know. Um, like I said, the performances by both of them are just, are just superb, and they really make this movie big time because, I mean, the movie could, could be made, made or broke on, um, on the performances. <laughs> and if they don't sell it, you don't feel their connection, and then you don't feel upset at the end. Uh, the movie's goal at the end probably is to make you cry, and it succeeds based upon how well they play it. Yeah. Huh. But, uh, yeah, all in all, yeah, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. I- I'd love to hear what, what, you know, your thoughts on it once you watch it. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation, Mike. Mm-hmm, no problem. I'm excited to watch it. <laughs> um, I wanted to I wanted to switch gears because we did some favorite ones. I'll switch gears to uh, some disappointments or, or worst of 2019 because, you know, Uh-oh. everybody loves those. Um, I want to start with a big one because, uh, this movie genuinely, um, was disappointing because I was expecting a lot out of it, especially I was waiting a long time for it. And I think a lot of people were disappointed by it, but that was, uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Mm, Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, that was one that I got to see as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, there, there were parts of it that I, uh, very, very few, but there was a couple parts of it that I enjoyed, but the, the vast majority of it, I felt like was slow, ponderous. Um, I, I kept expecting, uh, the, the, uh, plot to thicken and yeah, it uh, never did. It, it never did. <laughs> it's it's it disappointing did. too, because, uh, this is the second time, you know, they have tried their hand at the dark Phoenix storyline. They did it in X-Men three when Jean Grey was older. And a lot of people were upset by that because they we felt rushed and everything like that. And I thought by them doing this film, especially with this younger X-Men cast, they were developing Jean Grey properly, especially since they developed her really well, I thought, in X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, they were probably yeah. hitting at it. And for this movie to have been what it was, it's just it left me just shaking my head like you have the source material. How could you really screw this up twice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually while I was watching it, um, I, I watched it after after Captain Marvel. And I had heard that the two plot lines were similar enough. That they actually um, redacted and changed some of the material of Captain Marvel to avoid being um too similar, similar. Uh, to Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So, so when I heard that, what what I was expecting as I was watching the film, and um, just seeing it get off to what what I was seeing as a dry start, um, I, I was kind of expecting what happened to me with Captain Marvel, which when when about the first half an hour of Captain Marvel was was pretty dry for me. Uh, it, it seemed a, a it little was. bit a little bit predictable, and then all yeah. of a sudden when we had that flip of oh my gosh, these guys aren't the bad guys. Um, and the good guys are the bad guys. Um, that, that it really made the it really took the film off for me. And I was really waiting for something similar to happen in Dark Phoenix that there would be a huge twist somewhere, right. um, and that that would make the whole film for me. But it just it never came. Uh, it never came. It just it stayed predictable. And uh, villains were uh, I I felt like weak. Um, you know I was yeah. Kind of hoping for. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, the, the uh, kind of the the uh, devil on the shoulder fa- figure. Uh, what was her name? Oh, she the one the with, the, uh, with the grayish blonde hair. Yeah. Are you talking about yeah. Captain, you're talking about Dark Phoenix? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I forget yeah, her was, name. Uh, the actress is uh, Jessica Chastain. She also played in um, Hunger Games. And Interstellar. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, Mystique is Jennifer Lawrence, and that was the surprising thing in that movie. That was the biggest surprise, was Mystique getting killed. Mm-hmm. That was surprising. Sure, um, sure. But, I mean, which to me, there's problems with that, too. This is another problem with the X-Men films, is the continuity. 
the continuity <laughs> in these films is all over the place because, you know, if you look at the end of uh, X-Men 3 mm-hmm. and what happened, and then Days of Future Past, which was the sequel to First Class, supposedly right. fixed that timeline so Jean Grey was alive again. Mm-hmm. Everybody That's, was alive again. And same with Professor X. R- right. And then... And then what, the, the, the confusing thing here is that now Mystique dies, right? Mm-hmm. We, know, we know Mystique didn't die originally because in X-Men 1 and X-Men 2, uh-huh. she was around. Uh-huh. So there's confusion there on how that all pieced together. I guess Mystique is now dead in the Ultimate Timeline. Um, but also, too, like Jean Grey at the end of this film, she kind of dies in a way. I mean, she becomes Dark Phoenix in the sky, and they hint at the end that she's still alive as a figure. So if if Jean Grey is alive at the end of Days of Future Past, then I guess she makes a return from the skies, I guess, to come back to her true form when she's older again. Huh. That's a that's a great point. Uh, it's a lot of continuity problems. Yeah. Huh. Almost sounds like they need yet another reboot. <laughs> I think that's coming. Now with Marvel bought in Fox, uh, there's there's a. <laughs> Big hints that X Men is, is indeed coming to the Marvel Universe, and I, I heard a rumor too that they're trying to get Hugh Jackman to return as Wolverine. Oh, really? Really trying because See, I, I think they know it'd be tough. Oh, Logan was so good. It, I know. That was just such a great finishing yeah. twist chapter. And yeah. you know, the thing of it is, I, I think they're scared because they don't see anybody else being able to play Wolverine as good as him, and I think they're they're really scared that they're going to screw it up just based on who plays Wolverine. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, what, Mike, um, what, what do you what, what do you feel like has kind of led to the consistent decline of quality of the X Men films? Because I, I, I actually just went through with with my uh, with my wife Erin, and we watched the original three, um, and uh, I was I was just thinking as we were watching, I'm like, these used to be pretty good. And Logan was, I guess Logan was kind of a, an anomaly in that, and that Logan was fantastic. Um, and maybe because they had the, the liberty uh, with the, the higher rating than usual to kind of introduce some home. more serious and mature themes. But um, but uh, I, I'm just yeah curious to get your thoughts on what, what has kind of taken it downhill. What, 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 where are those decisions coming from? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, part of the reason why they've also said that Dark Phoenix suffered is because – when they were making Dark Phoenix, they knew that the the Marvel buyout of Fox was coming, and there was a growing pressure to put everything in one movie to finish the overall X-Men storyline the way Fox did it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the movie's writing was all over the place, because they were trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dark Phoenix actually would have been served as being like a two-part movie, being two movies. Mm. Okay, You know, sure. like an Avengers kind of thing, you know? Um, I think they could have maybe uh, grown on her development more, becoming it, and then made her grow to it where instead of just kind of throwing everything into one movie and just building off a little bit of what happened in apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it, it is kind of funny because, you know, after X-Men three, the last stand, the X-Men franchise looked like it was over because a lot of people did not like the last stand. They thought the, the movie was kind of a mess and the fact that how it tried to wrap everything up and what they did with the cure storylines and such, which is why we got X-Men first class, which was kind of a mm-hmm. semi reboot, but it was more of a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie was fantastic. Days of Future Past was fantastic. We kind of started seeing a little bit of the decline with Apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse still was still fairly good, but we saw a little bit of a decline from its quality from Days of Future Past. Mm. And then, you know, we got Logan, which was fantastic. Mm. And now Dark Phoenix, which was back to the same kind of quality as X-Men 3, going out on a very low note. And now we have that movie coming out that just got delayed because of, of, of this epidemic, which is the New Mutants, 
But from what we're hearing, that's not really in a general sense connected to that thing. It's kind of its own thing. So mm. I don't know if you want to consider that part of it. That's kind of Fox's sure. last X-Men-ish movie before Marvel does their own their huh. own thing. Yeah. How could you see the um, the tone of the X-Men films changing once Marvel starts to get their hand? Um, you know, that's interesting because I guess it depends on how they're going to introduce them. Are they going to give them their own movie out of the gate and introduce them? Or are they going to throw them into another movie and start kind of building them in the background and then give them their own movie? To me, I think Uh it would be be a mistake to do it that way. If if they really want to launch X-Men properly, they got to give them their own movie like they've done everything else. Because Uh we can't learn about Professor X and the mutant community in the back of another film. We can't can't do it. Sure, sure. So the the tone, you know, I think that they're probably going to add more humor than the other movies. Because that's just how Marvel works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think you're going to see more humor, not quite as dark. But uh, I, I'm I'm intrigued with you as well as how the Marvel's going to approach this going forward. Yeah. Do you think there's a a continued place for Sophie Turner uh, in X Men moving forward? You know, I really kind of hope so because I really do like this young cast. I think they're fantastic, and I I'd like to see them continue them, even if they somewhat reboot them. You know, go mm-hmm. ahead, but keep the actors intact. Um, I would like to see it continue because I thought her Jean Grey was especially good. Uh-huh. Um, and, and she really was probably the best spot of Dark Phoenix. Her performance didn't bring it down. She played the role fantastic. Sure. Yeah, but, uh, more of an of issue with the story. Sure. Right. It's kind of yeah. sad when your lead character that the movie's about is doing a fantastic job, but the story around her is falling <laughs> apart around tense. her. It's, it's, it's bad. The building's crumbling <laughs> around the actor. <laughs> yeah. Not, not so good there. Yeah. Um, another big uh, disappointment from last year. Um, I don't know if you've seen this one or not, but was uh, Men in Black International? Didn't I? I actually, you know, I I thought about going to see it, and I forget what kind of held me back. Maybe, maybe I had heard something along the way about it not doing too well. But yeah, what what happened, Mike? Well, the box office was not strong. Uh, the movie did not perform as well as they hoped, even though uh, Sony does want to continue the Men in Black franchise somehow. There's talk uh-huh. about getting uh, Will Smith back for another movie. Uh, maybe okay. still keeping this cast intact, but bringing Will Smith back to kind of give it its box office fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the movie was, I don't want to say it was terrible because it was not. I wouldn't put it on my worst of lists. It's just a disappointment because um, Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, and Tessa Thompson, who plays in the movie, she plays Valkyrie and Thor Ragnarok and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. The reason why they made this movie and put them together is because their chemistry was so good it's in Thor Ragnarok. Thor. Right, right. And I, I don't want to say that their chemistry in this movie is what hurts it because it doesn't. Again, it's one of those things where you have two good actors and a story that's just mediocre around them. They're huh. just kind of – they're not phoning it in at all. It's just that the story itself is just very generic, and there's nothing special about it. It goes from beginning to end and just kind of slugs its way from the, from the, from the, you know, from the beginning to the finish line. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. What was – so what was – what were they – what were they fighting? What was the, the basic plot? Of the movie. Um, well, the start of the movie is basically uh, Chris Hemsworth, and actually Liam Neeson's in this movie, surprisingly. Oh, really? Wow, they got some yeah, heavy hitters. Yeah, he plays their boss. Jeez. Yeah. Um, but him, him and Chris Hemsworth are partners at the beginning, and they go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. We find out at the top of the Eiffel Tower, there's like this device, like this portal that leads to another another world, like another, another dimension. And the aliens trying to cross over into our world... Um, and then they really don't show what happens. They make it seem like in the plot that everything is kind of going where they took it down and everything is safe. 
But we start finding out that there might be a mole inside Men in Black, and uh, it it just kind of drags on with finding out who the mole is and where the stories are connecting. You you want to know how to how that how it ends? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, basically at the end, Liam Neeson ends up being the villain. So in the beginning of the movie, when they flash the screen white, not showing how it finished, and we're told that uh, Chris Hemsworth got got knocked down. And Liam Neeson says he took out the enemy. We didn't mm-hmm. see it happen. Turns out the enemy did get through. It took over Liam Neeson's body. Oh, it killed, basically, it killed the real version of him, became the alien version of him. And he uh-huh. brainwashed Chris Hemsworth's character into thinking that they did take them down. And he still continues to think that until his memory starts getting put together by his partner, Tessa Thompson. It's just... <laughs> It becomes overly predictable. By the time you get close to the end of the movie, you start figuring it out that Liam Neeson's got to be the bad guy. He's too big of an actor to be in a movie like this to be playing just a, a side boss character. It's got to be something sure. to do. Sure. And it sounds like that transition happened pretty quickly. Um, I, I did want to kind of get your thoughts. Um, one, one critic had said that even for an action movie about aliens, uh, that the film was just too heartless, that there wasn't really an opportunity yeah. um, for the characters to really experience emotion around emotional events. Um, is that is that is that your assessment? Yeah, that's about right, because uh, at the beginning, we get Tessa Thompson's character. We see as a little girl that uh, her parents were uh, being talked to by men in black because there was an alien in the vicinity mm-hmm. and they got they got flashed with the uh, with the uh, neuralizer. And she was uh-huh. up in her bedroom and she hid. And she still remembers from a kid when the men in black came to her house. So she made it her mission to find the men in black, to become a men in black. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, you kind of think, oh, they're going to do some proper character development here, get us involved in a new character like they did with Will Smith in the first movie. Sure. But after that, that's about it. Chris Hemsworth's character basically has no plot development other than the fact that he's living a memory in his head of killing an enemy that was planted in his head. That's basically all his plot really is for his huh. story development for a character. So, yeah. yeah, in a way, yeah, it's very heartless. Jeez, huh. Well, the one other critique that I, I noticed for this film was that, they, they, and I'd be particularly interested given your background, Mike, uh, with this, uh, with effects, but they, they felt like for uh, a film that had been um, riding on the um, success of, a, of the early iterations that actually were, were pretty uh, successful around uh, CGI effects, um, they felt like this one, uh, for being the the furthest advanced, um, was actually pretty poor uh, with the with the effects yeah. compared to earlier films. Is that I know you have a bit more of an eye for that than than I do. Um, is that is that your thoughts too, or did you notice um, anything? Yeah, I you know the Men in Black films have always been kind of known to have cheesy effects in them. So in a way, I don't know if it was done on purpose to follow the tone of the other films because mm-hmm. of its campiness. But I mean, yeah, the effects here, the alien creatures just look generic. You know, there's sure. nothing really overly special about the special effects for a movie that's relying on them. I think probably the only sequence that I can remember that was fairly good was uh, when they're on the uh, jet ski, like flying vehicle where they're flying around on it, uh-huh. that those scenes were okay, but everything else is just kind of like ben justice league villain. <laughs> oh, Stephen Wolf. Oh Yeah. Now that now that would be a podcast and a half, Justice League. Be, yeah, there's another director's cut we can talk about that's not being released, much like Rise of Skywalker, uh, the Rupert Zack Snyder cut that everybody wants to see because supposedly it's ten times better than what we actually got. Oh really? Jeez. But whatever. Probably another director's cut will probably never see come. Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so you know, um, but yeah, all in all, 
pretty much. Uh, I'll just kind of run down a little bit of like some of my other disappointments. Uh, Ad Astra with Brad Pitt was kind of a disappointment to me. Mm. Uh, the trailer made it look like there was a big twist at the end, especially since they were advertising, oh, stay till the very end, you'll be shocked. I wasn't shocked. <laughs> I was not shocked. I was waiting for the peak moment to say, okay, where's the big thing that's supposed to blow my mind? It, it never comes. Well, they were, they were speaking to the, the middle school and lower audience that would have been shocked. Sure, sure. I guess they just wanted to see, you know, uh, they, they want people just to stay till the end because most of the movie is kind of a goose nest. But whatever, I guess it's supposed to be a payoff. Was was that intentional misleading, you think? Or are they just kind of overestimated its own value? Hollywood has a, has a knack of... Um, over-publicizing films that probably don't deserve it, and I think this might be a case of a movie they thought they had to do to get butts in the seats. Sure. Okay. Oh. So, um, I recommend if you know you're looking for a movie to put you to sleep, that's that's a pretty good one to do it. Uh huh. Um, but also was disappointed by uh, the newest Rambo movie. Was very excited for that. I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater, uh, but I saw it on video uh, right after it came out. It was basically a run-of-the-mill action film. It was really short. Uh, nothing really special. Huh. Uh, Gemini Man with Will Smith that ended up being kind of disappointing as well, especially for a Will Smith movie. Mm-hmm. Um, just story was just kind of okay. Nothing really special about it. Yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to see the uh, the cartoon Adams Family that was out? I didn't. No. See, that's another thing. I, I'm a huge Adams Family fan because when I was a kid, I used to love the uh, the live action movies. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, when I saw they were making another movie, I was kind of hoping for another live action. Of course, this time we got a cartoon, which was fine. <sighs> cartoon, actually, I remember being in the theater and about the hour mark, I actually zonked out for about a good five, ten minutes. So if that tells you. <laughs> wow, I've never seen you fall asleep in a movie, Mike. <laughs> no, this movie just was not doing anything for me. I saw it in the store the other day. It was uh, or about a month ago. I saw it in the store. And they were selling it uh, pretty cheap, and I walked past it and I'm like, no, I don't need anything to put me to sleep again. Uh-huh. I walked away from it. I, I, I'm sad by it because they actually green, greenlit a sequel to it now, and I don't really know why. Mm. I don't really know why, but uh, disappointing. And then finally on my disappointments list of the year would probably have to be uh, Secret Life of Pets 2. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, I liked the first one. I thought the first one was pretty funny, and I thought it was something fresh and new. I mean, two wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. It just maybe the idea of wore out already. Maybe just the the fresh idea of one already wore itself thin. I don't know. Mm. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. No, actually, you know the film. I want I wanted to get your thoughts on Mike. Um, I was actually drawn to it after watching um, the the Grammys. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, um, not the Grammys, the uh, Emmys. Okay. Um. And it was the um, – one second, Mike. Am, am I saying the right awards? They're from movies? Is it the Grammys? The Oscars. The Oscars. Oh, the Oscars. Oscars. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, to be fair, to be fair, music gets nominated for Emmys. And music is part of TV and movies, so that, that's fair. It's fair. It's so fair. so, so the, the film that I was actually drawn to after um, seeing the, the Oscars that it received was Parasite. Um, I had never heard of the film – uh, until the Oscars, and that that might have been my fault, just in my my distance from most things media these days, and not having as much time to keep up. But in any case, it was one of the, I think the first um, foreign film to receive best most in motion picture of the year, 
So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta see this film. And, and I saw it. And, um, and I, I'll, I'll say there are certainly some moments in the film that I was surprised and I was really impressed by the acting. Um, I thought the acting was phenomenal, but I came away, um, wondering what necessarily set it apart, um, from all the other films of the year. And I, and I couldn't figure it out. I mean, not that I'd seen every other film, but I'd saw, seen a number of other films this year that I enjoyed that were, um, surprising. I just wasn't sure if you had gotten a chance to see this one and had any thoughts on what kind of put it up so high. You I mean, know, that, that, fantastic too. Um, yeah, that, that's a good question, because I actually have not seen Parasite yet. And what's interesting about that is, is that, you know, I didn't know much about Parasite until um, it was nominated for the Oscars, because mm-hmm. I, I had heard about this foreign film that was getting a lot of, um, you know, recognition and this and that. But I didn't know much about it. I, I knew it was, um, I believe, uh, a South Korean movie, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's so it's essentially that the, the themes it, it centers around is um, is greed and and class discrimination. There's the there's these two mm-hmm. families, uh, okay. one that's very poor and one that's very extremely wealthy. And the the very poor family slowly but surely manages to employ their entire family under the the um, wealthy family. And okay. and the, the the two families almost form this symbiotic relationship between. Um, between themselves where the poor family is definitely benefiting from full employment for a wealthy family. The wealthy family is kind of perceiving themselves as receiving all these benefits from the services that are being provided by the, by the, by the, um, the, the poor family, even though they don't really realize that all of these employees are in fact related. <laughs> and that's about as much as I'll say, because I don't want to ruin the, the plot for you. It, it's, it's a very intriguing plot. Um, like I said, I, I was definitely, I was definitely surprised at times and I, and I enjoyed that I was surprised by some of the, the twists, but I, um, I just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of see if, if you felt like it was justified being the best motion picture of the year. Um, so whenever you get a chance to, to watch mm-hmm. it, I'd be grateful for your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, based on like what got on for best picture. Um, I sadly have only seen, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, Five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine films, ten films nominated for Best Picture. I actually have only seen two of them, actually. And so, huh. for me, I, the only ones I've seen that were nominated for Best Picture was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, uh, and Joker. Hmm. Uh, I did not get a chance to see 1917 yet. I know now it's out on digital, so I'll have to watch 1917 now. Um, Marriage Story was the other one, which is on Netflix with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver from Star mm-hmm. Wars. Uh, mm-hmm. Little Women... Uh, Jojo Rabbit, which is that movie that's kind of about uh, those kids during the Nazi times. Yeah, yeah. And then The Irishman, which uh, is on Netflix as well. So uh, Forbes Ferrari is the other one as well I have not seen. Uh, one with uh, Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I, for, for me, it wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be fair for me to compare it to anything other than what I've seen. Um, I mean, did you, have you seen Joker yet? I have, yeah. I was actually going to think you uh, ask your thoughts about it because I, I, I would say I enjoyed Joker not out of the delight in the violence of the film, but mm-hmm. I I was so um, impressed by Joaquin Phoenix's acting. Um, yeah, I so. he just he immersed himself in the character in a different way than I feel like Keith did 
Um, two different kinds it, of jokers. But but definitely in um, to a to a degree that I felt like Heath did, um, yeah. where it was it was it was utterly convincing. And um, yeah, I, I and I've always felt that way about uh, Joaquin. I've I've seen I haven't seen all of his films, but I've seen several. The first one I actually saw of him was Gladiator. Um, where he oh, played yeah. the, the emperor's son, and mm-hmm. um, and I remember being very impressed with his performance there. Um, but gosh, was he uh, was he convincing in Joker? And I, I found myself um, smiling at points again, not because of the the delight and the 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 content, because uh, there, there were some pretty dark moments, but but more so out of out of a, 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 such a, a, a an appreciation for um, his ability to portray a character. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. And, and it, what was kind of nice too is that there was there was um there was huge differences between the way Heath Ledger played it and him. So to me, they're playing Joker, the same character, but they're playing a different kind of Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the themes in the film were were really dark. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as a whole, I mean, if I compare like um, you know, Joker, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is the movie that takes place in the uh, time of uh, when uh, Charles Manson was and stuff like that. Uh, but Quentin Tarantino does a good job of it. I mean, uh, he provides a little bit of humor in there. And there's actually there's a twist ending to the the true story of what actually happened. That makes the film worth seeing all by itself. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like like you said, uh, I haven't seen Parasite yet, and I can only compare it to what I've seen Best Picture wise. But uh, you know, I- I'm sure, I'm sure, knowing the Oscar committee, that there probably was a lot, I, a lot of thought. <laughs> a, a lot of thought into it. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know in past years I haven't always agreed with what with, with what has won, but. Uh, to be fair also too in past years i haven't necessarily seen everything that's been in that category even seen one best picture so i'm not sure. a fair one to judge it but uh yeah i will opt to give parasite a watch because i'm really intrigued to see what led them to it winning best picture it's it's, it's mm-hmm. intriguing especially for a film that's a foreign film that won for the first time that's yeah very yeah. interesting yep yep so uh, huh. but yeah so uh let's see other movies that are my favorites from this year to name a few um John Wick three, mm. um, uh, Alita Battle Angel. Have you seen that? Yeah, one? Yeah, I haven't. I, I know you'd recommended that one to me, and I I, I read a, a brief um, synopsis of the plot, and it sounded like definitely the type of film I'd enjoy. What mm-hmm. kind of what, what drew you to it? Um, that's a good question because uh, I thought the trailer was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it piqued my interest. Uh, I, I think just basically the trailer just seemed like it was an interesting take on a, on a character. I think Alita was a, if I believe, I correct me if I'm wrong, uh, for any listeners or viewers or, or, or whatnot, but, uh, I think it's based off a graphic novel. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Um, I don't know much about the source material, so I don't know how faithful it was, but I know a lot mm-hmm. of people really liked it and mm-hmm. uh, the movie didn't fare nearly as well at the box office like they wanted to. But now that Disney has bought Fox, people have been going on Twitter and starting this campaign to make an Alita sequel. So now oh, there may be new fuel to make a sequel because the movie definitely has a very much open-ended ending. Huh. Very much so. There needs to be a sequel. Very much sure. so. There's okay. a lot of story there. But um, now, John, I think John, you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. John Wick 3, um, that, that was the was at the end of a trilogy? You know, when, we went to, when I went to go see it, I thought it would be. 
but actually it's not. There's actually more to come because the movie oh, wow. ends huh. with, a, with a cliffhanger, which is going to out next year. So, um, I've heard the series has been fantastic. That's definitely been on my list for a while to kind of um, check in with that. <laughs> yeah, Keanu Reeves is, uh, but before the series came out, Keanu Reeves' favorite of mine was, of course, The Matrix. That's uh-huh. most known. You know, he played a fantastic part there. But uh, John Wick, man, I mean, that's right <laughs> there. up there with The Matrix. I mean, and it's funny now that now they're making The Matrix 4, which I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how they're going to explain uh, how Neo is alive. Mm, sure. I mean, maybe the Matrix brings him back to life somehow. <laughs> I, I don't know. They said that the story is interesting. Keanu Reeves said the script was very compelling. We'll huh. see. Sure. Uh, but yeah, John Wick three is, is definitely up there with with one of his best with the Matrix. So. Ah, huh, cool. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So we we talked about Spider Man. We talked about Joker. Uh, and of course, we talked about uh, we talked about Star Wars with our last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, still waiting on the director's cut for that, so I'm hoping that that is indeed coming. I, I think though, too, since the Blu-ray is coming out next week, there are no deleted scenes on it. Now we know that Disney is full of it there because we know there's deleted material. There's been for uh, every Star Wars movie. Ever made. Yeah. So the only reason why I think they don't put them on here is because they are saving them for an ultimate cut. They've got to be saving. <laughs> got to be. Jeez. Uh, wow. So that'll be I'm excited um, for it. I still have to watch the, you know, I, I know you mentioned it came out on DVD and I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it again yet, but I, I'm really excited too. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching, because uh, I bought it on, on digital last week and uh, I got a chance to watch the two hour, um, uh, the Skywalker's Legacy documentary, which is, I recommend. If you want to know, like, how this, how the series was developed from beginning to end and how they did this movie and everything. It's definitely worth the watch. Huh. It's very intriguing. There's a lot of good interviews with the cast, and they cool. show some like archive footage from from Empire when they filmed Empire and A New Hope and stuff. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Huh. Neat. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's exciting. But uh, Either, go, go ahead. I was going to say that the one film, just as we're kind of talking about um, things that we're excited about, and I, and I don't believe that the the first one was a 2019 film. I think it was 2018. Um, but the the film I'm most excited about coming up in 2020 is actually A Quiet Place 2. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. bummed because it was supposed to come out, uh, as you know, on the 20th of March. Yep. It actually was going to be my birthday movie. Uh, but now all this happened with the epidemic and now the movie's delayed indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as, yeah. as we've as we've talked about films that deserve a, an entire podcast to themselves, I, I think to to fully discuss John Krasinski's um, the impact of his work on a quiet place would probably take that long and more with it. it. He, I think cause he, he wrote it, he directed it, he acted in it. Yeah. Was there anything else that he did? <laughs> you know, I, I think that was his feature debut for directing. I don't know if he wrote anything before that, but, yeah. uh, but you're right though. For a movie that's only an hour and 30 minutes, uh-huh. you could talk about that movie for two or three hours in a podcast because it's a movie unlike anything we had seen before. I mean, I think the first half hour, there isn't like basically the first 25 minutes, there's no lines of dialogue. It's completely silent. Right. right and a lot right. of times if somebody told you that, you'd say, I'm not watching that. I mean, come on. What's that? <laughs> you know, but it works and he makes it work because not, not to get me wrong, the cinematography is beautiful. It helps. Uh-huh. But the fact that we're getting a chance to kind of experience the world they're living in for the first half hour makes mm. the rest of the movie that much scarier. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, keep, I'm, I'm really keep trying to convince my my wife. I think if they referred to it as of the genre thriller, I uh, might have a shot. But they keep calling it a horror <laughs> film. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a horror film in the sense of having the jump scares. Uh, and I've heard the second one. He I've heard the second one is actually scarier than the first one. So I mean, that might be a hard sell. Oh. I'm, I'm looking at that. You know, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a good subject to, to pretty much uh, to, to, uh, to kind of close on with everything. Um, is with, with this epidemic going on, look at all the films that um, that were coming out that have been delayed and put off. A lot of productions have been delayed. Uh, films release dates have been pushed off. I mean, I know like Quiet Place was one of them. Um, the sequel to Wonder Woman has now been pushed from June to August. Oh, really? Um, Fast and Furious, which was supposed to come out in May, has now been pushed back to April of next year. Mm-hmm. Well, with, with that, yeah, that's I, I, I'm curious, Mike. With with that being said, for the, for those that might rely a bit more on on the theaters to kind of provide them with new content, um, can you recommend any old films that people could could watch online? Uh, like, well, I'm like thinking from... 40s, 50s, 60s. <laughs> well, I can always recommend Citizen Kane. That's considered to be still one of the best films of all time. So that's always a heavy recommendation. Uh-huh. Uh, that, matter of fact, I think it's going to air this weekend on Turner Classic Movies. So oh, nice. Watch for cool. anybody that hasn't seen it yet. Um, 40s and 50s. I mean, again, I guess you could always go back to any any John Wayne movies worth watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, trying to think who else. Catherine mm-hmm. Hepburn movies. The good, the bad, you know, and the ugly um, fall in that in that era. Clint Eastwood. I mean, that's I think that's from the sixties or seventies. I think it's sixties. Okay. That's like one of um, Clint Eastwood's like first films. I think Clint Eastwood too worth a watch yeah, yeah. too. I mean, sure. You know, even anything he's made recently that he's directed, acted in, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, any, anything with the old retro actors, you know, is worth watching because you know the oldies are always different to watch than what we have today. Mm-hmm. There's something special. So yeah, anything with those I recommend. Um, but uh, to say too, uh, some of the films that were actually in theaters have actually been moved up and are actually available on digital now for what's going oh, on. Oh really? Uh, wow. Vin Diesel's Bloodshot that came out uh, two weeks ago was only out four days before the theaters basically got closed down. So oh, now it's like available gosh. on digital on Tuesday. You can buy it now. Uh, oh. Harley Quinn: Birds of Prey can now be purchased on digital as well. Uh, the third Bad Boys movie is going to be out on Tuesday to buy on digital. Um, the new Trolls movie that was supposed to come out next month <laughs> is now going to be available on digital instead of coming to theaters. Um, Jeez. There, there's, there's a lot of them that are coming down the pipeline, and there's more to come, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, it's sad because now we're not getting to experience some of these movies in the theater. And uh, Oh, the other, uh, the new James Bond movie, which was supposed to come out in April. Oh, is now wow, another Bond. Gosh, what number so, is that? 30 some? <laughs> uh, I think it's 25. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Wow, that would be uh, quite the um, the marathon to watch through all the Bond, Bond films. <laughs> oh, that would be, yeah, that's, that's, that's about like a 20 part podcast, at least. <laughs> we talk about maybe one or, you know, two in one podcast, but yeah, that would be an interesting marathon to do. Uh-huh. Um, I'm actually uh, marathon wise uh, on Tuesday. Um, I have the uh, the the, uh, the 4K Blu-ray box set of the Skywalker Saga coming. Mm, nice. So I'm, I'm probably gonna I'll probably watch all nine in a row for the first uh-huh. time ever. Gonna watch all nine 
all nine straight throughs. That'll be interesting for a marathon. Uh, But yeah, all in all, you know, this sucks. This sucks. (laughs) Yeah, especially for those of you with the Regal card. Thankfully, they have uh, suspended payment on that till they open back up. I'm still not paying okay. that, thankfully. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, is there any other movies that you saw from uh, uh, 2019 that you've maybe that yeah. I haven't seen or? No, I honestly, that's those are. Um, I think those are all the ones that I saw. Um, you know, it's funny because now when when uh, my wife and I go to watch movies, I'll I'll tend to jump back a decade and pick like you know top movies of 20. To, you know, to 2008, 2007, just to kind of see old films that we missed along the way that are are goodies. So, um, but uh, at some point, I'm sure I'll I'll get a chance. Actually, if if, if the pattern continues, ten years from now, I'll start watching the top films of 2019. <laughs> there you go. There you go. A lot of the ones that I named might might circle back come back in. You know, well, that's a great thing about having Netflix and Hulu and Prime Video. I mean, you get to kind of go into those movies from 10 years ago and they're there and you discover some ones you didn't even know even were out there. I still yeah. discover a lot of them that I might have remembered being out 10 years ago, but I never saw. And then I'm rediscovering them now saying, why didn't I watch this 10 years ago? Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, huh. One of those things. Yeah. But really? uh, thanks for all but, those thoughts, Mike. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, uh, I know we talked about um, having Dan English on a, on a podcast here soon. We probably can do it exactly like this, you know, do a three man uh, Skype and find something to talk about. Uh, we can all talk about what we kind of want to discuss. I know you haven't said if uh, if Dan has seen The Mandalorian season one yet. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, that would be definitely worth a good podcast uh-huh. uh, if he has or not. But, um, yeah, we'll converse and we'll figure out something to do it on and we'll. We'll do it because, uh, you know, plenty of time right now. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Plenty of time right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. I uh, hope we provided you, you know, at least a little bit of an hour, an hour and a half of escapism from away from this and provided you with a little bit of entertainment. And uh, we'll be back soon with something new, hopefully the three man podcast. And uh, we'll try to keep you entertained through this pandemic and hopefully in, a month or so, we'll be back to living somewhat normal. Yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, visit the website, lcamoviereviews.com, to read our written ones and uh, our YouTube channel, along with uh, subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. So I want to thank Alistair for being a part of it today and look forward to him coming back on future podcasts and entertain the crap out of y'all, y'all. <laughs> Thanks again, Mike. What's happening? It's loading. That's very twisted.